Hey listeners, this is William Sterling, and you're listening to the Killer Mediums Podcast, where we talk about all of your favorite horror tropes and how they manifest across all your favorite mediums of entertainment. Today's topic is killer VHSs, and we are joined by guest Alan Lestufka. We'll start with a broad discussion about shortwave publishing and Alan's road to becoming an indie publisher, and then we'll dig into the beautifully retro glory of the killer VHS series, including Melonhead Mayhem and Candy Cane Kills. Um, but okay, with all of that out of the way, here we go. Let's get spooky. Foreigners tied bells to everybody in the morgue. So if they heard a ting, they knew somebody down there wasn't quite ready to go. Alan, how the hell are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm amazing. I have been awesome. looking forward to this all week. I can't believe I've got you on the show finally. As far as indie publishers that I respect and admire go, all the work that you are doing with Shortwave is just like top of the pyramid. Um, Thank you. So this is a joy for me. Thank you. Now I'm happy to be here. For anybody that is not familiar with who you are or what Shortwave is or really any of the other projects that you're involved in, could you give us a brief introduction to yourself just for the uneducated? Sure. Uh, my name is Alan. Um, I am an author. I am a publisher. Um, I also am currently dabbling in a couple TV film projects, um, all things that we can talk about a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, Shortwave Publishing is my small um, press. Uh, we publish horror and sci-fi mostly. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're fairly new. Uh, we just started about a year and a half ago, um, but we've been releasing on average a book a month since then. And this next year we have 12 titles for 12 months. So uh, right on schedule there. And uh, yeah, just having fun learning the whole industry and, and, and working with uh, a lot of authors that are new to me, uh, which is very exciting. Yeah, you've got a really good, cool, diverse range of indie authors and like big traditional published authors and like horror artists coming in to do work on some of your stuff. Like it's it's just this cool amalgamation and I love seeing it. Um, the The big thing that I was hoping to focus this episode on, though, is the killer VHS series that you all are running. Um this show deals a lot with uh, general themes in horror, uh, frequent tones in horror, trying to process how those things manifest across different mediums of entertainment. And it just feels like the Killer VHS series is the perfect topic for us to dig into because these books that you're putting out are able to harness that old school walking down the aisles at Blockbuster pulling off a couple of cool pulpy things based on the cover and then just being blown away by them back at home. Like it, it wraps all of that up in this amazing little package that I, I haven't felt this nostalgic in a long time. So um, from your end, what is the goal of the killer VHS series? What kind of inspired this? And I don't know, can you, what can you tell me about bringing it together and getting it started? Sure. Um, well, thank you. Um, and our goal is to do, basically just exactly what you mentioned i want to recreate that feeling of 
you know, I, I grew up in the aisles of Blockbuster and Hollywood Video and or a few local mom pop places. And um, I, I was lucky enough to have parents who let me kind of rent whatever I wanted to rent, even though the covers were pretty gross and pretty scary. Um, and so that, you know, I've, I've been watching Freddy since I was seven years old, you know, and, and, and a lot of these, these other films. Um, and so I think that, uh, with the killer VHS series, it's really just, I want to kind of go back to that. Like I love a lot of what new horror films are doing. Um, but they don't feel the same, you know, mm -hmm. and you don't feel the, the, the rubber masks, you don't feel the practical effects. You don't feel a lot of these things that, that the eighties, uh, and nineties horror films had, um, and so I really w was missing that, you know, and, and with the Killer VHS series, it wasn't something I actually set out to do. Um, but uh, Alex submitted um, his novella, Melonhead Mayhem, um, when I did an open call on Twitter. This was when Shortwave very first started. I was like, you know, I I'd like to see a couple of, of novellas. If anyone wants to send stuff in over the next two, three days, here's my email address. That's that that was that was the entire call. It wasn't a big production. Um, but Melonhead Mayhem was one of the ones that came in. And as I was reading it, I was like, this is this is great. This is what I've been missing. This is, you know, what I've been looking for with with new horror films. And, and it's right here in my hands. And so that got me thinking about how best to market that. And we could have done it as a one off. It could have been this is your retro throwback, you know, one title kind of thing. Um, but the more I thought about it, I was like, well, you know, if, if Melonhead Mayhem is kind of, you know, Critters-esque, what about doing something that's maybe a little um, Black Christmas-esque? And what about doing something that's maybe a little Sleepaway Camp or Pumpkinhead or, you know, wh whatever it might be, those those films that I love so much. Um, and so that gave me the idea for um, doing it as a series, doing it as a line. Um, and the more I thought about that, the more I started thinking about, well, how cool would it be to have a Goosebumps for adults? You know, have something where it's like, it's fun, but it can contain the F word and it can contain these gruesome killings and we can tackle adult subjects, but in a, a series that still feels kind of fun and lighthearted ish, you know, I mean, I say that and then, you know, you go and read Candy Cane Kills, and you're, you're <laughs> talking about pieces of skull stuck to the, you know, the guy's uh, fingers in the very first chapter. So, um, you know, but but for horror fans, that is fun. You know, that that yeah. is what the the escapism that we're looking for. So, um, yeah, that that's kind of how it started. It was just an open call. And Alex just had the right book at the right time. That, and it just triggered these feelings and emotions in me where I was just like, yeah, this is what I've been missing. And um, that 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 kickstarted the idea. Okay, so with that in mind, then, so that was one of the questions I was going to kind of build up to was, was this something that um, these authors that you've been connecting with, they already just had in their trunks as these trunk novellas, or were these things that um, you reached out to them and like, we're going for a retro horror, do you have something? So that kind of answers the question for Alex. Um, but while we're, while we're here a little bit, uh, looking ahead to Brian McCauley and Candy Cane Kills, so you had Melonhead Mayhem from him, uh, kind of locked and loaded then. And then how did you then bring Brian McCauley into the fold with this? How did how did Candy Cane Kills get introduced to the equation? Well, I had read Brian's uh, novel, uh, his debut, The uh, Curse of the Reaper, and loved that. So I was like, okay, here's somebody who would understand exactly what I'm going for with the Killer VHS series. And so I just cold emailed him. Um, I was like, you know, hey, this is an idea that I have. I'm looking for a second book in this series because I wanted to line up a few books before announcing that it was going to be a series because if I couldn't find anyone else who could do this, it wasn't going to turn into a series. Um, so I emailed him and uh, 
I, you know, we, we talked back and forth a little bit. Uh, he was, he loved the idea. Um, I told him it was going to probably come out sometime in November or December because it's my original aim was to do two a year, one in the summer, one in the winter. Um, and that, you know, got us talking about what kind of stories we could tell around that time of year. Um, and he was immediately like, you know, I have this name, Candy Cane. This is what I want to do. Um, and I loved it. Signed off and he went off. And I, I think I'd have to go back and check emails, but I think within two, three days, I had a full outline in my inbox. This was something that didn't exist before, but he was just like, here, here's, here's a two and a half, three page outline of the entire story. And I read through that and I was like, yes, this is perfect. This is exactly what I was looking for. You know, they, the, the phrase, they understood the assignment, uh, you know, a hundred percent on, on this one. Um, and, and since then it's been, um, both people sending in pitches, even though we're not officially open for pitches, um, and me reaching out to people who I think would just be able to do the series justice. Um, and so we currently have five books in the series that are signed. Um, and then there are at least four pitches I have in mind that I will probably end up buying within the next couple of months um, to keep the series going um, so they can get to work on those. But these are all going to be new stories. They're not things that are previously written. Um and everyone is going to be by a different author. And, you know, it's just kind of I, I pitched the idea to them. Now that we have Melonhead and Candy Cane out, they kind of understand what we're going for. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, we're just going to move forward from there. Awesome. So that sounds like if my math is right and my math is notoriously bad, uh, is that nine killer VHS books already kind of locked and loaded? Kind of. Well, there's five that are locked and loaded. The various stages. <laughs> yeah, and there there are four more that I'm like, I really like to 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 do this. You know, some of it is going to be a little bit dependent on finances. So some of it's going to be how sales go from here on out. Um, yep. you know, and, and that kind of stuff. But yeah, there there there's not there's potentially nine stories in the in the series currently. That's awesome. Because one of the things that I think of when we say goosebumps for adults is just the like overwhelming mounds of goosebumps books at the Scholastic Book Fair. So I feel like that's this important part of the equation, too, is just like we can go get lost in these stacks as it progresses. Awesome. That's... Yeah, well, and, and seeing the response to the first two, um, we've already ramped up production to be three a year now instead of two. Um, so that that's going to require more titles. Um, but I, I just thought that, you know, two a year just probably wasn't going to cut it moving forward with how many people are excited about this and how many of the authors are excited and sending in just fantastic pitches. Like every single one I'm get uh, that I receive is just like yeah, that's great. Let's do that. And then I have to kind of check myself a little bit of like, well, you know, I can't go, you know, signing 20 different books because um, I need to figure out how I'm going to pay for them. But yeah, it's 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 great to see the readers excited. It's great to see the authors excited. It's great to see the sales coming in. Um, you know, we're, we're still a very new press. Um, putting out a book for us is a, a large financial investment. Um, and it's also a thing where there's no guaranteed sales. We don't have a guaranteed readership. Um, so by, by putting this little series together and having people react the way they have, um, that's, that's really been great for, for shortwave and, and for the at least short-term future of shortwave. Yeah. Cheers. Um, let's, let's pull it back from shortwave for a little bit and let's go back to this, um, kind of thesis statement of, uh, blockbuster-esque movies and, um transporting back to the 90s back when back when blockbuster was in full swing and we were walking down those aisles do you have any like core blockbuster memories or movies that you got from blockbuster that you you can really point to and say like that's the vibes that 
I remember from my youth, or those are the covers that I remember from these eras of movies, because I want to talk about covers in a minute too. Just any shining examples that you can remember from back in the day. Uh, one that immediately springs to mind is uh, Rawhead Rex. And I don't know how many people have seen this film, but um, I bought a used rental copy from Hollywood Video when they were selling it. Um, and that VHS copy was my only viewable copy for decades um because it was a small movie it wasn't released on dvd it wasn't released on blu-ray until very recently it got 4k releases um from kino and i think arrow um so i upgraded from vhs to 4k which was just incredible <laughs> um in the jump of quality but yeah it's it's a great little movie about a, a monster that gets woken up in a small town and just goes on a rampage for a night until it is vanquished and uh you know the effects are all practical the monster is a rubber mask thing where the mouth i don't even think articulates i think it's just kind of stuck open in a in a scream um you know very low budget but everyone was having fun with it and i i definitely remember as a kid watching it and just being in awe um that people were out there making these kinds of things and um you know that that's the first one that springs to mind um there were lots of others um you know pumpkin head was another one that i i loved um Lance Hendrickson is just amazing. Um, so anything with him is great. Um, Sleepaway Camp was another series um, where it's just like, I know objectively they're mostly terrible movies, but there's <laughs> something, it, it's almost like, it's almost like grandma's cookies. They're like so warming and, you know, like uh, nostalgic for me um, that I, I can't, I can't watch them ob objectively because there's just too many memories tied to them, you know? Um, and then for me personally, the Nightmare on Elm Street series, the the entire franchise, just my favorite franchise of them all. I know everyone says Halloween or Friday the 13th, but for me, it's Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I think that the, the way that they handled dream worlds and handled uh freddy coming back over and over again was just so brilliant and you know he's like the one slasher guy that um had a personality you know he wasn't mute he wasn't just this lumbering you know stunt performer it was a classically trained stage actor who uh took it and and turned it into something incredible in my opinion um yeah awesome good examples and i can i can see the pumpkin head love shining through and um melon head especially and like creatures and um so all right let's let's focus back in on the on the killer vhs books then um so we started with melon head mayhem uh and you talked a little bit about what it was like picking up this book and feeling like it was the right fit for shortwave but for anybody that hasn't read the book yet, uh, can we give them a little bit of context here? Uh, what is the short sales pitch for Melonhead Mayhem? What actually is this book? <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, so there's two cousins um, who were brought together because uh, there was a death in the family. And they find this old uh, VHS tape in the closet while cleaning out the house. And they're like, you know, I haven't seen this. It's labeled as critters. Um, they're like, I haven't seen this. Let's let's put it in. And and it might be a good way to take our mind off of things that have happened. And watching this tape, they find that it's not critters. It's some B local movie that was made um, with the melon heads. And uh, watching this tape, uh, they fall asleep. And suddenly melon heads are breaking into their home and waking them up. And so this tape has brought the creatures to life. Um, and so they need to kind of track these creatures down and, and run from them while also trying to fight, figure out how to, how to kill them and, and how to conquer them. Um, and, you know, it's based on a, a local legend from Michigan um, that Alex took and kind of, you know, 
weaved a little bit into his own fiction into it. Um, but a lot of the locations in the book are, are real. Um, and it just has like this really great B movie tangible vibe to it, I guess. Um, which is, I think the thing that really made me think about, you know, a lot of those old VHS tapes was just, you know, not only with them being name dropped in the book itself, you know, critters existed there from the very beginning. Um, but just, you know, the whole thing felt, felt like I could reach out and touch it. I don't know. It might be a weird way to describe a book, but everything about it just, just, just felt that way. And I, and I loved that. Um, I, I love the way that Alex writes. Um, you know, I, I also read his, his novella, um, Curse Corvus, um, which is also fantastic. Um, his, his writing is just so great. Um, I don't know if that answered your question or not. Yeah, no, it did. Kind of lost the thread there a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> We've got the stage set, but you did touch on something that I, I don't, I know I don't have an answer for it. And I don't know if you would have an answer for it either too, but that textual feeling that comes through these books, like you mentioned in the original pitch for um, what classified as like killer VHS blockbuster stuff for you, like the rubber masks and being able to see those things on the screen. And like they, they don't make things like that anymore because they're CGI or even if they're not CGI, like, makeup effects have progressed to the point now where where it's just it it doesn't hit the same and yet somehow reading this book it hit the same when i'm not able to see an actor on screen when i'm not, not able to see the plastic kind of sticking to the lips not quite moving quite right um how <laughs> i don't i don't know a better way to ask that question but in your mind what sorts of things in these books can you pinpoint that are pulling those same levers for us? Um, is there anything about the characters or anything about the monsters that just feels familiar to you? Yeah, I I, th I think that it's, you know, the little bit of familiarity, you know, by by name dropping critters in there, it immediately put me back into my teenage years when I was sitting and watching critters on VHS with my cousins, you know, and so be, I think that that part of that is just being grounded in that relatable experience. The other thing, and I think that this is where or where I hope the killer VHS series is going to stand out, is that while they're slashers and monster movies and whatever else, it's really all about the characters and they're characters that you can care about. They're characters that are developed well. You know, we're not just throwing bodies in there so that we can come up with creative ways to kill them. There are creative ways to kill them, uh, <laughs> thankfully. And, and you know, that that's part of the fun. But if that's all it was, it would feel a little hollow. I don't think you'd remember it after reading. Um, and with the response that we've seen to to Melonhead and, and Candy Cane, um, I think that people are remembering it after they read it and they are connecting with these characters. They are connecting with these situations. Um, I think that right now, you know, we're kind of peak nostalgia for people our age, you know, that kind of grew up with these things. And maybe they forgot over the last decade or so, but they're all remembering now um, and, and, and going back to it. And so I think that these books also kind of tap into that. Um, that's not to say you can't read them as somebody who, you know, is 20 and never rented a video in their entire life. Um, but I, I think that it's going to leave a, a stronger impact with those who, who maybe did live through those years and maybe did, you know, sit there looking at the, the various covers and, and dreaming about what the movie could be if they were too young to rent it. That was my experience growing up was my parents were not horror fans. Whenever we went to Blockbuster, they would not let me pick the stuff up. So I would just be walking down the aisles, like seeing the Evil Dead 2 VHS and that eye following me down the aisle. I'm like, I wanted it so badly, but I just had to make up whatever I thought it was going to be. And then when I was finally got my driver's license and made it back to Blockbuster, there were just these mountains of movies coming home, home with me because 
nobody can stop me now. I, I mean, I was lucky that that my parents were kind of the opposite and did allow a lot of that stuff, um, especially my stepdad, um, who became a stepdad at, you know, I was 13, maybe. So he didn't have the whole raising kids, uh, you know, kind of thing built into him. But uh, so he thought it was totally appropriate to show me whatever I wanted to see. Let me rent whatever I wanted to rent. Just stay out of my hair kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I'm very fortunate to be able to to see a lot of that stuff. But, um, you know, there were still a couple covers that that scared me or, or you know, you'd hear about like the Faces of Death VHSs that were going around underground and that kind of stuff. And, you know, never saw one of those as a kid because where, where are you going to find them? Those are bootleg only. Those are, you know, those are, are scary. Um, yeah. Have you heard Todd Kiesling talk about that yet? I don't think so. Oh, that's a fun little story. And by fun little story, I mean horrific little story about him and Faces of Death. Um, is, is that in his episode? Uh, I don't. We might have glanced on it, but I know I read it in the prologue to his book, Scanlines. Mm, um, okay. we, we talked about it just a little bit about at uh, Halloween Hangover, too. But yeah, Faces of Death. That's a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down right now <laughs> that I, I don't want to touch. That's fine. Um, <laughs> let's. Let's stick with the uh, with the fun retro horror. <laughs> so we've got Melonhead Mayhem. We've got kind of the tone set for this book series. And then Brian McCauley comes along with Candy Cane Kill. So um, again, the short pitch for Candy Cane Kills for anybody that hasn't read it yet. Uh, what is this book about and why should they go pick it up? Uh, so Candy Cane Kills is about a family um, that decides to rent a cabin in the woods, uh, or a small Airbnb kind of thing, for Christmas. And the family's not doing well. The parents are fighting. The kids are fighting. Everyone's not getting what they want. Um, but hopefully this will be the thing that saves Christmas, and it is the thing that dooms Christmas. Mm -hmm. um, so here we find that uh, they, they go out to this house and they're hearing the about this local legend. Um, you know, apparently the, the the house is available to rent because the family that lived there burned alive in a fire and, you know, all of this. And um, the the story unfolds um, in one night um, and there's a lot of action. There's a lot of really creative kills. Um, and we get a little bit of backstory through um, an old camcorder they find in the in the basement. Um and, uh, you know, I know this is a full spoilery podcast, but before we get into the full spoilers, <laughs> I'll stop there because uh, I, I think that if, if you haven't read it yet, it's really fun to discover on your own. Yeah, uh, it, I think that's a perfect spot to stop the pitch. Um, another thing that really stands out to me uh, with Candy Cane Kills was the way that Brian McCauley was able to present us with inherently flawed characters that we still managed to root for. That's a big discourse that happens on like book talk and book Twitter and you know whatever else is like what how do we how do we balance on that line between unlikable protagonists versus flawed protagonists and uh, how how do we keep us cheering for them and that was really fun for me to read especially in like such a short concentrated novella I I know I walked into it expecting. And this is a disservice to Brian because I, I I know Brian wouldn't do this, but uh, I went in there kind of expecting these flat characters that are just like fodder for the killer canon or however I could phrase that better. Mm -hmm. 
but what we got were like these deeply complex characters that like when they suffered we we suffered along with them a little bit and i don't know it was cool and definitely for me harkened back to what you were saying about creating strong characters to drive these narratives speaking of brian I actually reached out to him when you agreed to do this episode and uh, picked his brain just a little bit about like, hey, what should I ask Alan about with the uh, with with Candy Cane Kills and the process of getting this into creation? And he said to ask you about creating the cover. I mean, the 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 cover's fun. We we use an illustrator. His name's Mark um, to illustrate the covers. And then I do the title designs and layouts and all that kind of stuff. Um, and. You know, uh, with with Candy Cane, it was kind of like, you know, how do we how do we depict this while hiding the killer? You know, we don't want to reveal anything until it's revealed in the book, um, you know, and, and so it, it came to, you know, we were talking about, oh, well, maybe the reflections in the bulbs, you could get the entire family there, the whole cast, along with the killer, and you could hide their identity. And I love the green and red. I think it works extremely well um, as as a cover. Uh, Mark is extremely talented. Um, so, you know, I usually give him a real rough idea of what I'm thinking. Sometimes I do little mock-ups um, in Photoshop of, of just, you know, stock footage and send it over but um, yeah, i mean one, one of the things we did worry about a little bit uh with amazon and stuff is they have rules uh, of what you can show on cover art and what you can't um and so one of the things is that no one can be threatening someone else with a weapon you know so if you have a gun it can't be pointed at the reader it can't be pointed you know straight forward on the cover or it can't be pointed at another character on the cover same is true with a knife or you know anything else and so we do have the killer holding a hammer but because it is just a hammer and it's not even raised in a threatening way. Um, I think we got away with it. <laughs> um, but, you know, there there was a bit of discussion on that of like how threatening should they the, should the pose be, um, you know, and, and that kind of stuff, because there are rules you kind of have to skirt around if you want to um, or play ball with if you want to, you know, be promoted by Amazon, which is obviously where the largest number of orders come in. So you don't want to, um, you know, uh, you you don't want to take the legs out from under your marketing team. Uh, yeah, you, you, you don't want to make you don't you don't want an uphill battle with when, yeah. when you know with with dealing with that kind of stuff. So there was some discussion around there. Um, you know, it was also important to us that we put a, a catchphrase on the cover, kind of like uh, we used Halloween for our um, inspiration there. The the night he came home. Uh, so ours says, you know, oh what fun it is to die, uh, which also hints at you know some of the Christmas carols that get sung throughout the book and other things. Um, so that just worked out being perfect for the cover and. Uh, also just adds to the overall tone, lets you know it'll be a little bit of fun alongside yeah. all the screaming faces. Yeah. Um, okay, so next thing I want to get into a little bit is the packaging, which something I never thought I'd be like impressed by and like wanting to bring up in an interview is like how a, how a book is shipped. But you all are doing a really cool thing with the Killer VHS um series and i don't i don't want to steal your thunder um but i i think you know what i'm talking about here how do you package these books and send them out what is the subscription club like because it's so cool to me <laughs> uh yeah so the the first idea i had was to include a video membership card with the books um you know because usually we include bookmarks um or even like uh name plates that are signed you know that kind of stuff but i wanted something that felt a little bit more like yeah, I'm, I miss having a Blockbuster card. Wouldn't it be cool if when you signed up for Netflix, they sent you a rental card? Like, wouldn't that be neat? <laughs> um, and that kind of inspired me to to create the shortwave video membership cards. Now, I, I should say, because we have a, had a few people email, 
the membership cards don't do anything. <laughs> the, <laughs> they, they are individually numbered. So yours is, is a unique numbered card, but you, there's nowhere to put that number in on our website. There's no, you know, any, anything that goes along with it. it. It is simply for fun. Um, but I do think it adds a bit of fun to it. And then secondarily, um, I have packaged almost every shortwave book in a box, not all of the, like a shipping box. Not all of them are unique to the book. We do have just some shortwave boxes um, that, are, that are unbranded other than as the publishing company. Um, but these, I originally designed uh, a blockbuster box for them. It was white with the blue torn ticket and everything. It was, it was exactly a blockbuster box. And I was like, well, okay. Blockbuster's not technically around anymore, but there's like one store that exists somewhere in the <laughs> United States, I think. So I'm like, maybe, maybe that's not the smartest idea. And so I started redesigning it as an homage to the to, to the Blockbuster box, but something that was original and unique. And I'm so thankful I did because I think that that really uh, created something that was cool and something that was more collectible than if it just was this white and blue blockbuster box. Um, so now it's black, it's red, it still has the torn tickets, but they're designed in a different way. Um, and then the back of the boxes is blank. And I actually print out individual labels to go on to the back of the boxes that have that video rental, you know, the little blurb and the rating and why it's rated what it is and the, you know, the run times of the total page count all that fun stuff. And um, because I print those out individually, I can just print one box for the entire series. And then each book just gets its own label. It's much better for inventory, everything else. But yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and so the, the shipping boxes, it, it feels like you're opening that rental box. It feels like you're uh, part of the club with the, with the card. Um, it, it's all very cool extras. It also happens to protect the book during shipping. Um, I'm one of those people who I hate bent corners. I hate dinged spines. Um, so that's why I ship out all the shortwave, um, orders in boxes, because if I was the customer, that's what I would want to receive. Um, you know, it's the same way that I work with a lot of our authors and, and I'm, I'm, I know we'll talk about publishing stuff later, but, um, I always approach things how would I want them to be, and thankfully I'm a very picky person, so that works with with me trying to you know exceed readers' expectations. You know they're expecting a book; they're not expecting a designed box with it, a membership card with it. They're not expecting a book that has uh, chapter headings that look like you're hitting play on a VCR um, every time that you're going through this. Um, and I think that those those things are all adding to the story. Um, you know, that doesn't mean we can be lazy about the story. It doesn't mean it's all flash and, you know, whatever. The story has to be 100% solid. Um, but then after that, like, yeah, decorate it up a little bit. You know, put the ornaments on the Christmas tree kind of thing. Yeah, it's the little touches that make it stand out so much because there's so many books coming out every single day um, that, that you kind of need some sort of a punctuation mark on it, it feels like. And you all have, you all have a trademarked move <laughs> for Thank the you. killer VHS. It, it's instantly recognizable. It was so cool. Uh, when I got Melon Head in the mail, my wife was the one that picked up the mail that day. And even she was a little bit bought in. She's like, what, what is this? Like, mm -hmm. did they open another blockbuster sort of a thing? Knew they didn't, but was still trying to figure out what was going on. Um, so yeah, it, it works. Oh, awesome um, to hear. Yeah. So looking ahead for this series, we, we talked about this a little bit already, but I know that books three and book four are already up for pre-order. So 
I don't want you to go into a full deep dive synopsis on them like we did with the other ones because I don't I don't want to spoil anything or, or take away from any sort of reveals. But could you talk generally big picture about how these two upcoming books are going to take the stage that Melon Heads and Candy Cane Kills um, have set up now for for this series and how they're going to push it to the next stages? Uh, how how can they elevate this even more? Sure. Um, so book number three is called Teleportasm. It's by Joshua Milliken. Um, it's it's a bit different from the first two. Um, so this is about a tape that you can watch. And when you watch it, it teleports you exactly six feet. Um, so it's a very short distance teleportation. Um, and it comes with euphoric side effects. Um, it just, it feels great. Um, so you want to do it more um but it's dangerous you know if there's a wall five and a half feet from you well then shit you're gonna be stuck in a wall when you teleport six feet um and and that's kind of the beauty of it is just kind of no one understands yet how it works they just know that it feels good and it moves them six feet um and so the book um <laughs> instead of being a straight narrative is more um moments it's more you know what happens when these four stoners play with the tape what happens when three kids in a treehouse get their hands on a tape you know that kind of stuff and that kind of builds and, and just shows how um well i don't want to i don't want to spoil it yeah uh, but yeah, yeah it, 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 it's 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 one of the coolest concepts that I ever that i've i've received so far um it's the one that got me so excited which is the one word sentence oh i have an idea for a book it's about a tape that when you watch it it teleports you six feet soul soul sign the contract give me the book you know like that's all i needed to hear um and then book four um is by uh tanya pell and it's called cicada um and this is about a small town film festival um that shows this uh really campy uh local b horror movie uh, about killer cicadas um and and it's kind of got this cult following and so these people show up and they're on forums all the time talking about the film and 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 it's a nice big party um but uh the the character we follow is is a young woman ash who uh kind of gets stuck there with her boyfriend that she no longer wants to be her boyfriend um and you know she just can't believe her luck and has to go through the motions with this town festival uh until they can get out of there and uh you know it's going to be difficult to get out of there because no one wants to let them out of there um and 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 that's where our our the crux of the story uh begins so awesome i'm yeah i'm sold i mean i was sold already but i'm double sold now is that a thing yeah um so if we if this industry lives lives and dies by comps uh and i feel like we got a good comp with critters and melon head and then black christmas with candy cane kills what are the comps for these two am i hearing a little bit of the ring in uh teleportasm a little bit. Yeah. No, th this one's hard to find a comp for. Um, and, and, you know, it is something we've talked about. Like it, again, it's just, and may maybe I'm showing my ignorance here. Maybe people can come along and, and correct me, but it's one of those things where like, I feel like I haven't seen it before. Um, and so I think that's why I got so excited and so jazzed about the idea when it was pitched is just like, oh, that's new, you know, and that's not something you hear very often. You know, usually it's like somebody can take an old idea and make it new or do it so well that you don't care that it's an old idea. But this is this is one that I don't think I've really seen before. And 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 that got me excited. So I don't really, uh, you know, uh, other than the ring, um, I, I think, um, you know, and, and when we first started talking about it, uh, we brought up Hellraiser a few times and just like the puzzle box and, and yeah. you know, what 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 is inside of this 
this object um and that is something that gets explored towards the towards the end of teleportasm um and then with cicada um i mean this this is not a horror movie but i like to think of it as a matinee with john goodman from the early <laughs> 90s if you've seen that yeah. uh, with the, the mant and, and that um it kind of has a lot of those similar small town theater vibe kind of things going with, for it um you know and, and tanya tanya might hate me after she listens to this because she might have a whole <laughs> list of comps that are perfect and i just don't know what they are off the top of my head um but yeah i uh i very much get those those matinee um vibes when, whenever i read it and i'm on my third read through now um because we've been doing some edits and, and additions and stuff and uh oh God, it's, just, it's just so much fun every time cheers <laughs> Awesome. Okay. Is there anything we haven't talked about with the killer VHS series yet uh, that you would like to kind of go down that road a little bit? Because if not, I've got some some other questions just for you um, kind of out, outside the killer scenarios. Uh, I think we're good on killer VHS. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I I cannot hype this series up enough. If you have that old nostalgia for blockbuster for nineties horror, you'll be bought in like I am. Okay. Spinning away from that a little bit now though, putting, putting that to bed and charting into new territory. You have so many other projects in the works also um, with shortwave. Yes. But I also want to talk a little bit about the fort. Um, I am so mad about our timing right now because we are recording this, I think, on the last day of the Kickstarter. So by the time the episode drops, the Kickstarter will be gone. But I still want to plug this thing because it sounds so cool. Um, <laughs> Thank you. What can you tell us about the fort? So I got involved uh, with a small film crew that was shooting a film called Hauntology, which is currently in post-production. Um, and, and I got involved because my old college professor, who I never lost touch with, Catherine, um, is a producer on the film. And she's like, hey, you know, we need a few more investors. Um, are you interested in coming in on this uh, film project? It's, it's a cool movie. We've got some some cool actors in it. Uh, you know, is this something you're interested in? I'm like, yeah, send me, send me, send me some more information. So anyway, I get involved with them. We uh, work on this project for a couple of months. The film is going well and the uh, production company wants to get started on their next project. And so they start asking, you know, does anyone have anything? Does anyone have any screenplays sitting around? And uh, well, I didn't have a screenplay sitting around. I was like, well, I, I have a short story sitting around that I've always liked the idea of. Um, I sent it to to Rob, the, the head of the production company. He loved it and immediately optioned it and put it into development all within like a week. And I'm like, what's happening? What's going on? <laughs> um, and, Good problems. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And and it all just snowballed from there. We 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 landed um Callie Haberda, um, who is the lead on uh Netflix's that 90s show. Uh we landed her pretty early. Uh she read it uh and just loved it. She's like, I have to be Aaron, I have to be in this. And uh it took us a long time to find the actor to play Tim. Um there's only there's only two roles in the film. Uh we only need two people. And um Everyone we tried out or everyone that we auditioned, it was just like, oh, they're good, but it's just not, they're not Tim. And then Armani Jackson, um, star of uh, Paramount's Wolfpack, uh, came along and he just nailed it. He was just perfect. Like everything about him was just perfect. So we we're like, okay, great. Now we have our two people. Uh, and then as soon as we signed with Armani, the SAG strike happened. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so we're sitting there like, okay, well, let's put in the paperwork to see if we can get 
the exemption because we're paying everyone fairly. We're going by all of the things that SAG wants, you know, all this stuff. Um, so we qualified and they were like, yes, you qualify. We're like, great. Can we get our approval letter so we can shoot? We'll get you, you know, we'll get that to you. We'll get that to you. Okay. We're going to be shooting in a month. So a week goes by, no letter. Another week goes by, no letter. A third week goes by, no letter. We're emailing them every day. We're like, hey, we have, you know, airlines booked. We have a crew of 35 people booked. We need this. And uh, finally, they uh, got it to us the night before Armani had to get on his plane so that he could get to the location to shoot. So we're sweating bullets <laughs> because we have $150,000 invested in this film and all of it's about to go down the toilet if Armani can't get on his plane and come because SAG hasn't given us the approval. So anyway, it worked out. Um, that's probably a much longer answer than you wanted. And I apologize for that because there's so many more exciting things to talk about with it. But uh, the, the, just the road to getting there was an uphill struggle every second counted. No, I love it. All of these little behind the scenes stories are so cool to me. Um, so, okay. You had this short story that got pitched and optioned. Were you the one that got to write the screenplay for it? Yeah. Uh, so the, the screenplay was mostly written by Catherine Clark. Um, and, and I co-wrote it with her. I didn't have much experience in sc screenplay writing, um, but she, she has. Um, and so we worked together on the screenplay for that. So can we talk a little bit about that process of adapting it to the screenplay? You mentioned earlier that it was young Alan's writing. So maybe there were a couple of things that you had been sitting on over time that you wanted to punch up a little bit in the next draft or just taking a short story and expanding it. And like, where do you find the scenes to add to get it to full length? I don't know. Um, just anything about that process that you thought was interesting, just from a creator standpoint that you'd want to talk about right now. So the Ford is a short film, uh, not a feature. And so we actually ended up okay. condensing things from the short story, uh, which I, I was surprised by. Um, but the, the short story happens over uh, the period of, say, four or five days that you see like on screen or on the page. Um, and the short film, we condensed a lot of those days to where it's now down to only three days on screen. Um, and some of that was just to escalate the story as it went on um in the short story it works very well having a night day night day night day pattern um that would have worked less well in the short film since it's only about 20 minutes long i think the the audience would have got a little bored with that repetition even though it works well in a short story um so uh yeah there, but there were you know as you mentioned things i wanted to punch up yeah there were a couple of lines that i was really embarrassed by in the original story so i'm glad i got a chance to change the dialogue for that um but overall, it, it it held up. You know, the overall the the actions are the same, the beats are the same. Uh, you know, other than them escalating towards the end of the the film version uh, faster than they do in the in the written version. Very interesting. Um, and I, I'm realizing now that we haven't even like set the stage for what this movie and this story even is. With it being a short story, can you give us a short pitch for? the tail here or would it immediately dovetail into spoiler territory no i mean no i i can certainly give the pitch uh it's, it's similar to the one that's on on amazon as the description but it's it's uh so aaron and tim have their own secret hideout in the woods it's a reclaimed rv known as the fort and it just grew a new door uh so it starts with with them going out to the fort after not being there for a while and there's a new door there. What the hell is this? You know? Um, and so they begin investigating. And that's kind of where the story kicks off. And then the other thing that's really cool about this is with the Kickstarter and with trying to get uh, funding for it and all, all the T's crossed and the I's dotted, 
you came up with a cool little companion piece idea for the fort. It's a book with multiple authors writing cool essays for it. Um, can you pitch us on the the companion piece a little bit? Sure. Um, so I, I'm a very physical media person. Um, you know, if, if it's digital, it doesn't really exist in, in, in my world. So I've always wanted a very cool physical version of the fort. Um, and I, I did some early chat books where I, uh, actually did lino cut, um, and, and hand stamped the covers. They are wrapped in vellum. They are really fancy artifacts, uh, for this, this little short story. So maybe it was a little ridiculous, but I loved it. Um, and so I wanted to do a book of the short story and the screenplay, but with it being a short, um, that would have accounted for 40 pages. You can't bind a book with 40 pages. So I, uh, was thinking about what else could we add to add real value, you know, not just, okay, let's just stuff it full of photos. Let's just stuff it full of, you know, whatever. Um, and the essays are something that I've seen like A24 does with their screenplay books. They'll usually have one or two essays in there. Uh, I've seen a few other people do like extended forwards before the screenplays. I believe Jordan Peele um, did one for, for Get Out that had a, a forward. Um, and so I thought, well, what a fantastic idea. And so I started reaching out to some of the authors that I've worked with on previous projects, um, just asking if they would like to see the film, if they would like to maybe write about uh, how it made them feel, you know, if there's a topic about it that they want to approach it with, you know, and some people are approaching it from that teenage nostalgia, that fear of losing friends and identities when you go to new schools or new towns. Um, some are approaching it um, from, you know, uh, in the story, uh, Aaron's um, closeted, they're, they're queer, um, you know, and so we have somebody writing an essay about queer nostalgia and what that's like to kind of live two lives in your own memories when you have your private life that you were le leading, but that you couldn't really be public about in the 90s. Um, and then your public life, uh, where where you were just kind of going along with the social norms. Um, and, and I think that those essays are going to add so much to the the context of the story and and really make this what could have been a very silly um, merch item, uh, you know, something that's more substantial, something that, that is going to be read and and digested and hopefully lead to some discussion or at least some some uh, considerations of viewpoints you maybe hadn't considered before. Yeah. And is that book only available through the Kickstarter or how how do listeners get their hands on that? Uh, and so, movie. <laughs> so m most of most of the items that are in the Kickstarter, though not all, uh, will be available through Shortwave's um, online shop. So we are going to have the Blu-ray and DVD combo pack. Uh, we are going to have the book, which is a full color hardcover book. Um, so it's a, a bit more on the premium side, um, but we will have an ebook copy available as well. Um, and then the final item that we'll have available after the Kickstarter is the seven inch vinyl single um, that includes two original songs that were recorded for. For the film um so so one of them is a song that uh my band co-wrote with armani jackson the actor who plays tim um and that's like the theme song for the movie that plays over the closing credits uh and then the second song on the b-side is actually uh christoph paul from clash books um he has a band the dionysus effect um and they recorded an original song for for the ending scene the 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 big culmination of the entire film they wrote the song for that scene um and it just turned out incredible um and so those two songs are available on a seven inch vinyl uh, which again will also have a digital uh, edition of that available 
I know I saw you post that on Twitter the other day that that Kristoff and uh, the Dionysus effect were doing the big climactic song. And that was kind of on the tails of them releasing everything the darkness eats as a song, which is just a fucking banger. So like, ah, I know they're going to kill that too. So they did such a wonderful job. And, and, Christoph has actually told me twice now that it's the the best song they have done as a band in their own opinion. Um, <laughs> and, and I haven't heard everything they've recorded, but I've heard a lot of what they recorded in the song it is truly great. Awesome. So my next question was going to be, how can people support uh, the fort support this, even though the Kickstarter's gone, but uh, I guess that kind of answers the question, just getting copies through shortwave supporting it that way. Yeah. Yeah, no, right. we, we do have a website, uh, enterthefort.com, um, that will just basically link you to the places where things are available, the IMDb page, the trailer that you can watch, the physical merch items, etc. Yeah, and I know I saw the trailer the other day, and it is very cool. Doesn't Thank give you. away very much of the story. It's it's a lot of vibes, but they're good vibes. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> that was the first trailer I ever cut, um, which which we did only as a cost-saving measure. One, one of the things that was really important to me, because we had a really healthy budget for the short film, but I wanted to make sure that every dollar went into the film itself. I didn't want, you know, a bunch of people getting padded pockets. I didn't want to waste stuff on um, having someone else cut trailers or things like that. So I, uh, you know, even the end credits, um, I designed and edited all of those because it was like, we can either pay somebody three or four grand to do it, or I can do it for free and just, you know, we can take that three or 4,000 and put it into the film, which is where it belongs. Um, so yeah, it was really important to me. Um, and so I, I very much appreciate you saying that because it's the first trailer I ever cut, but I, I think it went well. Well, I think that answer right there is like maybe the perfect spot to end our conversation about like you and shortwave on, because it, it really highlights what's so great and unique about the things that you're putting out is because you do put all of that time into every single detail of everything I've seen from you. Um, the, the, from the cover art to the interior formatting with like you were talking about the, the little play button and the scritchy scratchies. And it looks like an old VHS tape is playing while you're reading the book um, to the packaging for the, for the deliveries to doing your own end credits uh, and working with people that you actually know to like, make the soundtrack for it. Like, just the, the personal touch to everything is I'm here for it. I, it's so cool. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I think has made shortwave as successful as it has been in the short amount of time that we've been around is that it really is the culmination of the last 40 years of my life, you know, like I, I, I was a YouTuber for a very long time. So I have video skills. Um, and, uh, you know, when I was at YouTube, I ended up co-founding a merch company, um, uh, with another YouTuber and we made CDs and vinyl and posters and t-shirts for, for YouTubers. And that was, you know, that became my full-time job. That company became, what I spent 80 hours a week doing, um, like I'm spending now with shortwave. Um, but that taught me about creating merchandise that taught me about order fulfillment that taught me about how to manage a warehouse when you have packers, um, and fulfilling those kinds of orders, doing that kind of customer service. That's something that when most people start a small press, they don't have that experience. They're learning, they're messing up, they're publicly messing up, um, you know, to where shortwave never had that, that, that growing pain. It was from day one, I knew how to, produce a great physical piece of merchandise. I knew how to get it out the door in a timely fashion. I knew how to package it. I knew how to handle 
uh, all the shipping things uh, that come along with that. A lot of stuff that scares people. There are a lot of digital only presses because they're scared of shipping out books. Um, and I and I get it. If you've never done it, it can be an overwhelming process of well, what what qualifies for media mail, what doesn't? Um, <laughs> you know, what 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 are the charges I need to to set for these zones in the United States and et cetera. Like it's it's a lot to take on, but I already had that knowledge. Um, and I think that 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 is what has helped shortwave, you know, like college was graphic design for me. You know, that that was my major was just communicative art, um, you know, and so I can get a point across in an ad when I design an ad for one of our books. Um, and that's something that, again, most people don't have when they start a press. Uh, so I, I've been very fortunate that I've had such a varied professional life um, because all of it has come together and and made you know, what I think is, is a pretty good press. <laughs> uh, I'll second the nomination. <laughs> thank, thank you. So I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here, but for anybody that's listening, where can they connect with you? Where can they learn more about shortwave and killer VHS and the fort? Um, I, I feel like you're about to drop like 500 social links because there's so much going on, but uh, if we yeah. can condense it down. Yeah. So um, to find shortwave anywhere, all social media is shortwave books. So at shortwave books, all, all social media, you can find our website, which has tons of information. We have individual pages for every author. We have individual catalog pages for every single title. We have a news section that covers blurbs and reviews and awards and all kinds of fun stuff. That's shortwavepublishing.com. Um, if you're looking for me personally, my personal website, alanlstufka.com. Hopefully that'll be linked somewhere in the show notes because nobody's going to know how to spell my last name. Um, <laughs> and to find me on socials, I'm basically Alan Distro, D-I-S-T-R-O, uh, everywhere. Uh, and again, it's short for distribution because 10 years ago, I was head of a warehouse and a distribution company for YouTubers. So that is where my screen name comes from. Oh my gosh, that's a mystery solved. I did <laughs> not know what that... Okay, okay, got it. Cool. Well, Alan, this has been a pleasure. Uh, you are so much fun to talk to. Um, again, all the respect in the world for the books that y'all are putting out. I cannot wait to see The Fort. Um, thank you so much for stopping by the show. Um, everybody listening at home, uh, please don't forget to like, subscribe, uh, be kind, rewind on the streaming service of your choice, and we will see you next time. Stay spooky. Foreigners tied bells to everybody in the morgue, so if they heard a ting, they knew somebody down there wasn't quite ready to go. 